0: Greetings, I'm Brad Thomas, and this is After All is Said and Done. Welcome. After all is said and done, then we will know, won't we? But perhaps we can know now, if we choose to. We're in the midst of the Olympic Games, the Olympiad, the Winter Olympic Games in PyeongChang, Korea, South Korea. And... One theme that has been much ballyhooed at this Olympic Games is this unification of North and South Korea, even though the North Korean regime, to this day and on into the future, the North Korean regime is hell-bent on overthrowing the South Korean free government and free peoples. But currently, they are employing a more subtle tactic. And this is not exactly something new for communism, for socialism, for fascism. Propaganda is a cornerstone of all socialist regimes, all socialism. Propaganda is absolutely critically indispensable. It is used to bring socialism into power, it is used to maintain power, increase power. And currently, with the aid and abettance of the wishful thinking South Koreans and the media elites, they are managing to manipulate this Olympics to their ends. Now, that's not something new, is it? Uh, you might think back on the Sochi Russia Olympics and the manipulation of that Olympics for the aggrandizement of Vladimir Putin and his regime, aka Free Russia, but the Russian Federation regime of Vladimir Putin. And this, of course, goes back to the Beijing Summer Olympics in communist China. And all the way back to the Nazi Third Reich Olympics, preceding, predating World War II. So it's not something new. But interestingly enough, the only commentary that I have heard concerning it on television has been gushing and glowing and just falling all over one another over how wonderful this is. And that it is obviously a precursor to peaceful, free unification of Korea. Nothing could be further from the truth. Reportedly, according to NBC, and I reference NBC as compared to ABC and CBS and CNN and so forth, because NBC is televising the Olympics, whether you are watching the Olympics via comparatively traditional TV, which we've, of course, gotten totally away from now everything is cable or satellite as compared to the way it used to be with a household antenna. Now you are forced to subscribe to this, that, or the other thing. Then there are those who are watching it via streaming services. And apologies to all of you who are doing that, like myself, and having fits with it because of not being able to stream anything live to speak of, because that's when uh, there is the greatest number watching and what have you. At least I'm not able to stream via NBC, NBCSN, Sports Network, directly, and so on and so forth. But it doesn't matter to me, ultimately, because I can, I can watch taped... Uh, episodes, if you will, events. What I don't care for are these little clips where they have edited, you know, edited an hour and a half down to one minute. And they show you their chosen highlights. Doesn't quite give uh, a true picture of what's going on. Even as the commentary regarding Korea does not give a true picture of what's going on. But there was a panel of commentators for NBC that were referring glowingly to the historic Korean Unified Women's Ice Hockey team. And interestingly enough, after going on and on about this, then they happened to segue over to referring to the women's ice hockey rivalry between the United States of America and Canada, that is between the Canadian women's ice hockey team and the USA women's ice hockey team, and went on to state that players on those teams really disliked each other and even hated each other, as was seen by their fighting, their open fighting at the Olympiad in Sochi four years ago. And this in a sport in which, in the Olympics, overt physical contact such as body checking is supposedly impermissible. So, what are we to believe? Are we to believe that these women ice hockey players from North America, from USA and Canada, from these neighboring countries, which have a great deal in common including, you know, historical foundation. But not that these young women necessarily would reflect on that or necessarily be keenly aware of the underpinnings. But are we to believe that these women really strongly dislike each other and hate each other, while in Korea, where the Korean War never actually, factually, officially ended. It went into ceasefire mode. Where in Korea, we are led to believe that, oh, they are best of friends. Friends the North Korean and South Korean women's ice hockey players on this unified team. Are we to believe that? Because that's what has been communicated by these wonderful commentators. Later on, I also saw an interview uh, with Mary Carrillo. Mary Carillo has been... Serving in a, I apologize if this is is not the act the best possible way to express this, but I view it as a human interest capacity. She provided various human interest stories at the Sochi Games and. Likewise, as far as I know, is serving in the same kind of capacity at this Games. And I know that she referred to this historic, unified Korean women's hockey team. And again, was glowing in her affirmation of it and referring to these so-called cheerleaders. This... gathering of individuals who are hand-selected to be cheerleaders. Interestingly enough, just as the athletes for the North Korean delegation are hand-selected, so the cheerleaders are. And you might think that, well, the athletes are selected strictly on the basis of their athletic ability and their athletic achievements. Not so. And especially true, exceedingly true with regard to these cheerleaders. They have to be from the right families families that are known to be absolutely, utterly, totally, completely loyal to this murderous regime of the Kim family. The delegation that is from North Korea consists of the athletes, the competitors, and this group of cheerleaders... and the leaders of the delegation. But if you look beneath the surface, if you scratch the surface, you'll find that this North Korean delegation is composed of Communist Party members who, as in all Communist regimes, are a minority within that regime a minority of the population within the regime are actually communist party members but this delegation as all north korean groups that are permitted to go abroad this north korean delegation consists of communist party members and then so-called administrative members whom i believe would all be communist party members and security officials. Now, South Korea seemingly has the pulse of this, seemingly has this under control because they are not allowing North Korea to have their own security. But South Korea the South Koreans who supposedly are controlling this are being controlled, are being played, because in point of fact, just as you find with embassies around the world, embassies in the United States of America in particular, and delegations to the United Nations, those from communist regimes Fascist regimes, Islamo fascist regimes, are rife with their intelligence security factions who make up a very significant number of their delegations. So too here. So even though South Korea has supposedly blocked North Korea having their security (laughs) there. They are, in fact, on the ground, boots on the ground at the Olympics. And what is their purpose in being there? Is it to protect the North Korean delegation from violence? No. They are there to prevent any members of the North Korean delegation from defecting, from staying behind in South Korea instead of going home to this wonderful Shangri-La North Korean slave camp regime. But even were the Olympic... Delegation not under constant surveillance from their own internal security detachment. The likelihood of any of them daring to defect is extremely, extremely small. For a number of reasons not the least of which is that they know that their family members back in North Korea will be held accountable, will be terrorized and grievously punished, such as sent away to concentration camps never to be heard from or seen again. So the likelihood that any of these cheerleaders or any of these athletes will actually attempt to stay in South Korea is extremely slight. But every now and then, every great once in a while, such things happen. If North Korea is in peace-seeking mode, all evidence of which militates against that shows that to be the furthest thing from the truth. But if it is, in peace-seeking mode, then surely there would be no retribution against family members of those who might choose not to go back to North Korea. (laughs) But the North Korean delegation, where they are staying in one of these housing units that has been provided by South Korea, which has done a bang-up job of making provision for this Olympics. They have done a stellar job of providing for this Olympics to be outstanding in every way. Interestingly enough, this North Korean delegation, which takes up A significant section of one of these buildings has been allowed to cover all of the windows where their delegation is with one absolutely enormous North Korean flag on the outside of the building. Which is not permitted for anybody else to do anything of the kind. But for North Korea, there is this notable exception being made. And so the North Korean Security Detachment is able to keep their group under lock and key to keep them from being able to see the outside world except when they are going to and from various different venues and under the ever-watchful gaze of their protectors While there is this unified women's Korean hockey team, ice hockey team, there are others who are competing individually under their nation. So, for instance, the other day I saw a women's alpine skier competing in the giant slalom representing the People's Republic of Korea. And that is much truer, a much truer representation. It certainly doesn't demonstrate or display or give evidence of what is behind the iron, bamboo curtain across the DMZ between south and north, between north and south. But, at least it's not being sugar-coated under this glazing of unification. You have probably seen Kim Youngin's sister... I know that's not the proper pronunciation for this monstrous, murderous, thug dictator uh, in chief of North Korea. But so Kim Jong-un's sister, Kim Yo-jong, she is serving in a capacity which I would liken to something on the order of uh, that of an ambassador or an emissary. And every time I see her, I can't help but think that she is viewing this united Korean front here at this Olympics as being a precursor of a Korean peninsula unified by the sword under her family's murderous regime. Now, I don't want to go reading too much into what, facial expressions mean, and so forth. But when I see this woman, it makes me think that her intentions are not peaceful. And there is reason to think that. Her personal history displays that. Her... Status in the North Korean regime demonstrates that. Kim Yo Jong happens to hold the critically influential, powerful role of deputy director of the Workers' Party's propaganda and agitation department. Huh, really? Well, could they possibly be, and there she is in charge (laughs) of the North Korean delegation at these Olympics in Pyeongchang, South Korea. Could it be that she's in charge of masterminding this participation in this Olympics? To be a propaganda coup. Is that a possibility? Is that even a faint possibility? This woman who's in charge of the propaganda for North Korea. In charge of the propaganda and agitation apparatus. The propaganda and agitation department. Now, Deputy Director of the Workers' Party's Propaganda and Agitation Department may not sound to an outsider like like it's all that important a position. I mean, is that just a little kind of a figurehead position? You know, is this a ribbon-cutting position like Prince William and his other royal family members over there in England have, you know, coming out, uh, uh, attending various different events where they will ceremonially cut a ribbon, say a few well-chosen words, and uh, all of that. No, no, instead, and the the wording of it is incredible, isn't it? You would think that they would disguise this a little bit, you know, instead of calling it propaganda and agitation department, why don't they call it something? I don't know, like a uh, goodwill and uh loving kindness uh, department or something, you know, obviously not that, bad. something other than propaganda and agitation department. you no, know? Well, it just so happens that this position that she holds was held by none other than her father, Kim Jong-il. When did he hold this position? He had this position immediately before he was promoted to be dictator over the North Korean communist regime. Taking the place vacated with the death of his father. It's not a ceremonial position. This is not a ribbon cutting position. This is an operational position. The same kind of thing as what Vladimir Putin had. Back in the Soviet Union as the number two man at the KGB, which became the GRU. The number two man. He was the, in essence, the chief operating officer, the operations chief. In charge of little things like assassinations. Well, here, Kim Yo-jong holds this vitally important, powerful position that her father held immediately before he was made dictator. Could there be anything to it? You know, is she just a glorified PR person? Is she just a glorified marketing person? Is she just a glorified press relations person? Is that is that it? You know, just, just well-meaning, well-intended, with the same kinds of desires and ambitions as you or I might have, you know, to enjoy a peaceful, prosperous life. Hmm. I think not. <laughs> and when I see her, I get sinister feelings <laughs> concerning how she is viewing things and what she is thinking. But that's me. Maybe I'm totally wrong. Maybe. But she was promoted to that position along with being promoted to be an alternate member of North Korea's Politburo, becoming the only woman other than her aunt, Kim Kyung-hui, whom she is, in fact, expected to be heir to in, her, in Kim Kyung-hui's capacities. So what about this aunt? This aunt who was so close, so very close, to Kim Yo-jong and Kim Jong-un's Pappy, Daddy, Father, Kim Jong-il. And held such powerful positions and was feared and is feared. (laughs) But I digress. Kim Yo-jong was promoted to these positions even while other family members were murdered and assassinated. She is known to be absolutely, utterly, totally loyal to Kim Jong-un. And she embraces exactly the same agenda as he does. And that agenda is not peace. It is not a peaceful agenda. It is not peaceful reunification. How do you unify a vicious, murderous, satanic communist regime with a free government? How do you do that? Are there any winners and losers? Well... Back to that in a moment. I'm Brad Thomas, and this is After All is Said and Done, in case you missed the introduction. And if there's anything good in this program, if there is anything praiseworthy, if there's anything helpful, useful, that's thanks to God Almighty and His Son, Jesus Christ. If there's anything bad in this program, less than stellar, less than good. That's on me. So, if we're going to have this unification of Korea, what's it going to look like? Who will be the winners and who will be the losers? How will it happen? Do you imagine for one single solitary moment that North Korea which has spent all of its history going back before the Korean War began all of its history on seeking to destroy South Korean government and enslaving all of the Korean Peninsula. all of its history is testament to that, all of it. Do you imagine as these NBC commentators do? and I'll give them the benefit of it, benefit of the doubt and say that they sincerely... Imagine that this is a possibility. Do you really imagine that there is any possibility of there being a unification of the Korean peninsula with the end result being that there is free Korea? Do you really imagine that? Not only is there no possibility of that, but there's, of course, extremely great likelihood of there being a change in the status quo. But if there is a change in the relation of North Korea and South Korea anywhere in the foreseeable future, it is a violent change. This Olympics is only being used by North Korea to manipulate, to manipulate South Korea. Yes, they want to manipulate world opinion, but more importantly than that is to manipulate public opinion in South Korea, to play along. With this peaceful dream, pipe dream of South Korea's government to encourage it, to further it, to enhance it, and to gain ground in breaking down defenses in South Korea, breaking down readiness to defend South Korea from this murderous North Korean regime. This is not something new. the Soviet Union, as vicious and ruthless and murderous and torturous and heinous and satanic as it was, not only greatly employed propaganda within its borders and without its borders throughout all of its existence, but it also did everything in its power to cause the United States of America and the Western world to stand down, to disarm. So too, the communist Chinese regime It's not something new. This is an old, old, old ruse and methodology of the socialists, the communists, the fascists. They gain all the ground that they can via other means. So, too, thugs and gangsters. And thugs and gangsters in political parties. Who do everything in their power to disarm their opponents. To weaken their opponents. To weaken their opponents' resolve. to fool and beguile their opponents, to use subtlety. And then, when they have reached maximum advantage, then to swiftly employ all of their martial capacities to violently overthrow and destroy. It's the game plan that has been used over and over and over again and throughout human history, but particularly by the socialist regimes. And so too here. But back to the cheerleaders. And they have a number of different chants and so forth. But one of them is, we are one. We are one Korea. And they are there for what purpose? This is not just to cheer on athletes. Heavens, no. (laughs) Nothing as ridiculous as that. This is to influence the South Korean people. This is to ingrain this in the South Korean people via chanting or music, if you will. We are one. We are one Korea. And to pound away on that over and over and over incessantly at this venue and that venue and the other venue and always being shown and always with their chance and their chance of this sort and that sort. But underlying all of them is this idea That we just want to be one big happy family. And who is in charge of it, but none other than Kim Yo-jong. Who is in charge of the propaganda and agitation department. Propaganda and agitation department. So words and deeds, evil words and evil deeds, she's in charge of, this dear woman. Well, the hope is, of course, to increase the sentiment, to increase the popularity of this sentiment throughout South Korea, Better off red than dead. (laughs) That's the ultimate, you know. Uh, But the sugar-frosted version of that. We all want the same things. We all just want to enjoy peace and prosperity. Can't we all just get along? Let's just all be one big happy family. While the North Korean regime of the Kim family is scheming and conspiring continually to overthrow and destroy South Korea, even as their father's regime did, even as their grandfather's regime did. Continually tunneling under the DMZ. And when I say tunneling, I'm talking about tunnels that can accommodate They're full-sized armored vehicles. Can accommodate trains, troop trains. (laughs) These are not some little innocuous tunnels, if there were such a thing. No. This is heavy engineering tunnels to enable the invasion of South Korea by surprise. And there are many throughout South Korea who, while they may not agree with the words, agree with the sentiment, better off red than dead. But that's because they don't know how horrible, how monstrous their future would be were that to take place. It's like where there is a home invasion or there is a kidnapping and a person or people or a family give up stop resisting, allow themselves to be tied up, bound and gagged and what have you and transported because they're afraid of being murdered. And what they do is they ensure that they will be murdered. But they're hoping for the best. That if they don't struggle, they'll survive. Just as the women and the girls have been carefully indoctrinated, trained for decades and decades and decades in this nation that if they are attacked by a vicious, ruthless rapist, that they should not resist. They don't want to make him angry. And they should not resist, and that's their best chance for survival. When, in fact, typically the exact opposite is true. These vicious, ruthless, murderous destroyers are hell-bent on destroying. It's their first and foremost objective. Defiling goes along with that and is part of that and a precursor to that. Well, time after time, I've heard reference from Olympic competitors along the following lines, that they are representing their countries, they are representing something bigger than themselves. And they need to, you know, really be, I don't know what's the best way to, how they're expressing that, but because they are representing more than themselves, that their actions need to be more than they would be otherwise. And we're told by these various different Olympics advocates there and so forth that the Olympics, at the Olympics, we are citizens of the world. You know, akin to the UN, to the United Nations, we are citizens of the world. And while communism, Islamo-fascism. Sodomy, the sodomite agenda, they're all championed (laughs) at the Olympic Games by the regimes, by the organizers, the athletes, the so-called cheerleaders, commentators, advertisers and companies and organizations. I'm sure you've seen in these advertisements. Christianity is not something to represent, much less to champion. Now, is it? I have nothing against people wanting to do their best, do their greatest on behalf of their country. You know, this thing about ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. But. Our greatest. Debt. Our greatest loyalty. What our greatest due should be to. Is to our Lord and God. Our creator and our savior. And not first and foremost, a nation or national political system or a regime. Going back to something that I've referenced in a few, a couple programs or a few programs, this advertisement from Southern New Hampshire University, where the chancellor or president or whatever position he holds, he says the following, quote, the world in which we live equally distributes talent, but it doesn't equally distribute opportunity, end quote. And then it goes on. Well, really? So the world in which we live equally distributes talent, but it doesn't equally distribute opportunity? Well, even if you accept the premise that it's the world that does the distributing, okay, not God, not the creator, but it's the world that does the distribution of talent and opportunity, even if you accept that debatable concept. What about this Olympics and all of the previous Olympics? What do they teach us? (laughs) Do they really demonstrate that? Do they really demonstrate that talent is distributed equally? Really? When you watch any event, I don't care which event it is, even curling, (laughs) if you watch that, which I choose not to. But regardless what event you watch, do you see this great sameness of level of talent? Now... Understandably, the development of the talent is going to vary by how many years have been put into it, by how early the person started, by how dedicated they are. But do you imagine that the actual factual distribution of the talent is equal? Is that the way it looks to you? Is that what you see evidence of? And on the flip side of that, what about opportunity? Now, I know there are those who will say, no, wait a minute, we in the United States of America, these people in the Western world, in the industrialized world, we have so much more opportunity. Well, wait a minute. You have people competing in events such as alpine skiing who are representing nations throughout Africa, and the Middle East, and you name it. I mean, they're from every part of the globe. Places where there is no snow, there are no mountains covered with snow to ski on, to train on. And seemingly, there would not be any great apparatus for instructing, teaching, training, so on and so forth. And yet they are competing. Now, while many of them may not be competitive down to the second. Or even down to 10 seconds. Nonetheless, they still, so many of them, have reached a level that, as far as I'm concerned, is still elite. (laughs) Not elite compared to the likes of the Lindsey Vons and Michaela Schifrins, but still is extremely impressive. Despite the fact that they are from nations which do not have the resources. And seemingly are places that You couldn't have Olympic athletes competing in these events coming from. No, opportunity is distributed much more evenly than SNHU would have you believe. But the talent, that is very unevenly distributed. The state of Maine has an official state slogan, I believe it's, Maine the way life should be. Well, it's essentially the same idea as the Olympics, continually trying to promote this idea of the Olympics, the way life should be. I'm Brad Thomas, and this is After All is Said and Done. After all is said and done, then we will know, won't we? But perhaps we can know now, if we choose to. Thank you.